in the text that David read from uh, Matthew, uh, it's not a very Christmassy text, but it is a, an Advent text because it looks ahead in hope. And Jesus here speaks hope, the hope of his second coming. And today we begin a year-long emphasis that we're calling A Year for Hope. We introduced it last week. We talked about the rhythm of the church year that begins with Advent and goes all the way to the end of the, the season of Pentecost, which we celebrated last week with Christ the King Sunday. In, in the church year, uh, we, we have sort of an alternate calendar that, that traces the life of Christ and the impact of Christ in the world. And now in Advent, celebrating his birth at Christmas, moving into Epiphany and, and the acts of his, his life, and then into Lent and then Easter where we, the, we discuss, discuss his and look at his sacrifice and then the resurrection. And then that long season of Pentecost, or some call it ordinary time, which is a funny word, we'll explain that when we get there, but a season of growth as we live into the life that Christ has given us. That's where we're headed in these next several weeks, and we're calling it a year for hope. It's an alternate reality. It's an alternate kingdom. It's an alternate calendar that's different from the traditional calendar that we follow on a day-to-day basis. But as we begin Advent, the season leading to Christmas, it would seem that there's a great deal of overlap, an overlap of the calendar. So much of this world and, and the traditional calendar are also wrapped around Christmas and the birth of Christ. And Advent and the season of Christmas do coincide, but they're not quite the same. The Christmas season, uh, though it's still linked to the birth of Christ for many, whether they believe in him or not, believe that that's what Christmas is about, uh, the Christmas season, though linked to the birth of Christ for many, has become more and more associated with the giving of gifts, with celebration gatherings, with festivity, with expectations of joy, expectations of happiness, and peaceful relationships, um, uh, and, and, and um sort of get amped up every year. We get this expectation of all these good things that happen, and it's not all bad. And even when we really want to keep Christ in Christmas, we often succumb to a kind of a, a sentimentality uh, that's, that's nice, but it doesn't necessarily go very deep into what Christ really brought to the world and what he promises to bring. Now, as I said, all of this sentimentality and, and expectations of joy is not all bad. And I'm not even talking about the commercialism and all those other things that drive us crazy at Christmas. Just even aside from that, sometimes what we do with Christmas is we, it has these higher expectations of joy and it's just not what's intended in the observation of Advent. We can still do it. But in Advent, we look at some deeper things. Advent is connected to Jesus, but it's also connected to the bigger picture, the the bigger story of God, if you will. It's connected to the longing and the, the waiting that Israel endured for several centuries, the longing and waiting that we endure now in this imperfect and this lopsided world that we live in, waiting in hope for Jesus to come and make all things right. Now, Advent is not all doom and gloom. And some of you are sitting there going, boy, I hope not, because I'm coming to church to feel good and to get excited about Christmas. (laughs) Advent is not all doom and gloom, but in a sense, our hope is intensified sometimes as we acknowledge the doom and gloom of the imperfect that we live in. And greater is our hope for peace in that future kingdom when Christ makes all things new. Something I read this week in a resource from the covenant said this, we are waiting not for the birth of Christ in our world. He was already born. We're not waiting for the birth of Christ in our world but for Christ to give birth to a new world. A world not of all new things, but where all of the old things are made new. And that's the hope of Scripture. That's what we read in the prophecies, where all things are made new in Christ. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, we will be made new. 
We've chosen to call our Advent series then, Come Lord Jesus. Not just to celebrate your birth, which we will and we will with gusto and great joy when it comes. But it's about this greater hope as well. After the second, the second to last verse of the entire Bible, Revelation 21, 20 says, Come, Lord Jesus, our hope. So this is what we will be looking at this morning, that as we step into this year of hope, Advent calls us to a season of waiting, not just for Christmas, but a looking ahead to the perfect peace, or that wonderful Hebrew word shalom, when Christ makes all things new. Come, Lord Jesus. But ours is not a waiting of passivity and reflection of just sitting and waiting for it to come, but of kingdom work and kingdom action. That's what we want to look at. In that day and in this day, waiting for peace in that day as we identify with what was going on in the Old Testament and working for peace and doing acts of peace in this day. Waiting for peace in that day. Listen to uh, um, now, now another thing to say about this year of hope is that there's four scripture readings every Sunday. Now, we're not necessarily going to read all of them, but I will always have them printed in the bulletin and in the outline. And, and we'll give them to you for the week coming as well. I think I put them in there for the next couple of Sundays. You'll see on the back of my outline. So there's always four texts. It's almost always a, a psalm, Old Testament reading, New Testament epistle reading, and gospel. Sometimes it shifts a little bit. There's always gospel. Uh, so that will always be there. So, for example, this morning, uh, the, the responsive reading that Kelly and Greg did was based on Psalm 1 and 22. David read from Matthew 23, and I'd like to read a little bit of the Isaiah text. Listen to the Isaiah text now. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah here is speaking from the Old Testament world in a time of waiting and actually a time of lamenting. It was a difficult time for the people of God. He speaks here in this passage of the last days. In the last days, this is what we will have. And Jesus in Matthew 24 is speaking of that day when he comes back and is returning. And Isaiah is looking ahead in a sense, way back at Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ, was looking ahead to the whole Christ event, to the first and to the second coming. He was looking to this time when God would break in and make all things new. Christ, of course, is looking ahead to that final consummation when all things come together. In both of them, they're looking ahead to that day, those days, the last day, that day, that day when Jesus will pull it all together, that day when Jesus will pull us together, that day when not just us but all nations will come together. That image that John receives in Revelation where he says people of all colors and tribes and tongues and nations together worshiping around that throne. That day, that future perfect kingdom of peace. And the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom, which isn't just no hostility. Shalom means all as it should be. All things made right. All as it should be. The shalom of God. That day. The last days are inaugurated with the birth of Jesus, but consummated at his second coming. 
But we need to get a little bit closer to what Israel was experiencing. The Israelite people did not always have it easy if there weren't external threats to their faith and external things coming on them as a nation to their faith and well-being. There was internal corruption and their own disobedience that led to their downfall many times. At Isaiah's time, they had been conquered and increasingly marginalized under Assyrian rule or imperialism, we could call it. Assyrian imperialism has now come and sort of not quite crushed them, but has marginalized them, and and really the Assyrians are in control, politically speaking. The people of God are in their own season in a sense of advent, which means simply means coming or of waiting, waiting on God for a Savior to heal them and deliver them. They are experiencing a deep and raw pain. And the response as they wait is one of lament. They are lamenting a biblical, uh, a biblical reality that happens throughout Scripture. And you hear it in the prophet's words. Yes, there is hope, but the waiting time is a time of grief and pain. And lament does not jump. Lament acknowledges the grief and pain rather than saying, oh, everything is going to be better. It says it hurts right now. Lament is an authentic response. It's not indicative of a lack of faith. But in that deep, dark place, God does give them a vision of the future. It's in a vision of a city here. Part of the Old Testament hope is this vision of a city of peace. Now, think of cities today and think of our wonderful city nearby. Chicago's a great city, but, but cities these days are, are a mixed bag, aren't they? We out here can look at the city and see it as a place of excitement, of culture, of energy, of a lot of traffic heading into the city in the evenings because there's so many cool things to do there. We also know that that city is a place of traffic, a place of crowds, and increasingly of danger and violence. But in Isaiah's day, the city was this safe place. In Isaiah's day, the, the, the image he paints is a, as a positive one. This future city is one filled with the presence of God, filled with the light of his presence. And the city that he imagines is on a high place, and it's very similar to Jerusalem. That's the picture they get in their heads. Jerusalem is the holy city to them. But the city is on a high place, but it is not inaccessible. It's not high to escape things. It's high to to look out over things, and it draws people in. It's a central gathering point for all who are seeking God and seeking peace. And it is a place of peace. These images that you heard here of no warfare and no threat of warfare have the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. It's a powerful image, isn't it? There's no warfare. There's no threat of warfare. Weapons are not needed. They are turned into these implements of guarding and implements of productivity. One of the commentators I read this week suggested that, quote-unquote, weapons to be destroyed won't just literally be literal weapons, but there will be those things that, anything that does damage to relationships, anything that attacks human worth, anything that, that splits people apart and puts some above others. The, the weapons to be destroyed are weapons like Racism and bias. Misogyny and economic practices that lift some up and oppress others. Political systems that abuse power and, well, you get it. And here, for those of us who have been alive long enough to remember when he stepped into power, the death of Fidel Castro has brought up those images of of evil dictator and uh, oppressive regimes and systems. And that oppression and that marginalizing and better than others kind of thing is a weapon that destroys human value. When Christ comes, he makes all things new. And it's not only literally the removal of weapons, but these weapons that separate and divide. And he brings us to a place of peace. 
That's the Old Testament anticipation. And now the New Testament anticipation comes with Jesus in which we cry out, come Lord Jesus. It's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. It's what the Apostle Paul assures the believers of in several of his letters. Jesus is coming back, he said. Jesus is coming back to set up his perfect eternal kingdom. Not way out there, but here on earth, a new heaven and a new earth. This world as we know it will cease and we will then forever be with the Lord on that day, on that day. And it came as great hope to the people of Israel, of of Isaiah's day, and it came as great hope to the people of the early first century when they were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. They needed that hope in the midst of their pain and their suffering. The day is coming. The day is coming for us, and some think very soon. In fact, I know as a college student in the 70s, and we were all reading Hal Lindsey, Jesus was coming tomorrow, remember? Well, he didn't. He's still waiting, you know. And we were reading all the political signs. It's gotten so confusing. Who knows what's going on now? We trust God. You know what Jesus said up here that we were reading? Well, not up there. He said it in here. We were reading it up there. It's not for you to know the time. (laughs) Just trust him and be prepared. And that's what he says in light of this. He says, so be prepared because you don't know what day your Lord is coming. And Jesus is not trying to pull a big surprise on us. He's just saying, live your lives for me. Live in such a way that you make a difference now. Be ready all the time, he says. Being ready for that day then has something to do with how they live this day. And so looking to peace in that day, there's a working for peace in this day. We often interpret this readiness in terms of our our personal holiness. Am I ready to meet Jesus? How how am I doing? How am I living my life? Or maybe we we take that personal thing and we lean just a little bit towards others and we think of our readiness being in terms of sharing Christ with others. Have, Have I led enough people to Christ? Have I lived my life so that people have kind of noticed that I'm a Christian? But we often have this sort of personal interpretation. That's certainly part of it. But readiness for that day also involves not only working on ourselves personally, but working together in this world, working for peace, making an impact on this needy world that's in pain now with the presence and the power of Christ. Things are being made new now through the efforts that believers make in the world. Christ will bring it to completion, but we work that way now too. We don't just passively sit and wait, we work We work on the inside, and we work on the outside. As I was working on this message, I found my mind wandering, as it often does, to to coffee. This was a a really, it was a scary week in my office. I have a coffee maker that Megan bought for me when I moved into my office seven years ago last week, and it died this week. I almost sent out a prayer request, but I thought, I can handle this. And I remember that we had another coffee maker at home and one that we didn't use, so I'm I'm in good shape. I I love coffee, and I kid about it a lot. But I realized that as my mind wandered, there was a little bit connected because I was thinking about this idea of inside and outside, and I was thinking about, well, I was thinking about Starbucks holiday cups. Last year, some of you remember, there was a huge uproar from some corners of the might I say, not-so-deep-thinking Christian world, and about the plain, that evil plain red club. It had nothing to do with Christmas, did it, except for being red. Well, this year, uh, Starbucks has um, made some improvements. In fact, they've gone a little bit over the top. Let's look at the next one. Christmas! Look at that. Did you see that? There's all the, I think it's 13 different designs by 13 different women, wasn't it, that, that did these? Uh, so a little bit of Starbucks, kind of a little bit in your face, you know. And so you want holidays? Here's the holidays. And so we get this. They're holidays. I don't know how Christian they really are. 
But reindeers, did those have to do with the Christmas story? Well, anyway, but they're, they're pretty, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I don't want to make fun. Well, actually, I do want to make fun, and I just did, but I'm done with that. Because what I want to say is I don't really care what's on the outside of my Starbucks cup. I don't really care what's on the outside of my Starbucks cup. But I care deeply about what's inside the cup. For me, it's the darkest of roasts, unadulterated by any cream or sugar. That's what I want in my cup. So it is what's inside that counts. But seriously, when it comes to readiness for the kingdom, readiness to be with Jesus in that future kingdom, it is what's inside us that counts very much. Not just what we look like, not just what we call ourselves or label ourselves as a follower of Christ or a believer, but what's really going on in here and here. Ready on the inside about really truly knowing Jesus. Having this walking relationship with Jesus where where our sins have been dealt with. Not that we don't sin anymore, but we understand that our forgiveness is in Christ and our our access to the Father is not through our own self-motivated perfection, but through this gracious gift of Jesus that says your sins will not be counted against you. But you can come into this relationship now. And in that relationship, we let him through his spirit affect our our attitude, our our inner health, and and the health of how we live our life and, and work with others. Our inner readiness is about knowing Christ in a relationship with him that affects our heart, what we feel, and the things that motivate us. It affects our mind and our will and how we act towards others. Knowing Christ following Christ, letting it continue to form us. That's what we mean by spiritual formation. Letting the Spirit form us, not just educate us, not to just give us information, but to actually affect who we are and how we live with Christ dwelling within us. The hope of that day is for those who know Christ this day and living that way. But our waiting and our preparing, as I said before, is not just personal. It is not just a time for reflection, but also for externally focused action, kingdom work. And so we have a readiness on the inside, but also a readiness towards the outside of lamenting and inviting and demonstrating the kingdom. Now, by outside, I don't mean appearances. I mean moving from ourselves towards others, moving from what's going on in here out towards the people that God calls us to to love and to care for. What I mean here is the external orientation that God calls us church to have. God calls us to be a church gathered where we come to Christ, we worship together, we celebrate together, but the whole purpose of that is to motivate us to be externally focused on the world that God has called us to, that the church is to impact. This external orientation God calls us church to have. And that doesn't just mean doing good things. It does mean doing good things, but it means more. It might even mean lamenting. And I'm going to come back to that. I said no doom and gloom, but here's a little bit. By this, what I mean is recognizing the brokenness that's around us. Recognizing the hopeless place where many find themselves living. Whether it's been self-inflicted by another, there's people that are struggling through life. And lamenting means feeling the pain and even feeling the fear of others sometimes. And rather than trying to explain it away or tie it up with a nice little happy Christian bow sometimes, we need to stop for a while and recognize that we live in this imperfect world and there's people whose pain sometimes needs to be validated before we try to fix it. This last election stirred up all kinds of things in several directions, didn't it? There's the fear and the angst of of Muslim Americans, of undocumented immigrants, 
of other kinds of people of color, while at the same time, this election has also highlighted some of the despair and the hopelessness of large swaths of white Americans who's lost jobs. Their pain is real too. Whether we agree with what they've done with it or not, that's not the issue. Politics are not the issue. People that are struggling and living with fear and a a losing sense of hope is what we have to address. Maybe one of the first steps of modeling the peace of Christ to others is simply to listen. One of the first steps of modeling the peace of Christ to others is to listen and to feel what they feel and lament. All is not well. All is not shalom. It is not as it should be. But our readiness on the outside can also move in the direction of of inviting as well. I don't just mean inviting to church. That might be part of it. That would be great. But I'm talking about a bigger picture of inviting these people with whom we identify, inviting into conversation, inviting into relationship. Eventually, where where trust is built, and then perhaps within a trusting relationship with those who are hurting, then the conversation about what's happened inside me, and it might be hope for you as well. Rather than just giving the gospel as as a package to be that one who is that inviting presence of Christ to a world in need. It might mean shifting some things in our life to spend more time with people who don't know Christ. Some of us are so busy being, some of us are professional Christians, like me, I'm a professional Christian. But I'm taking a look at my life and where I spend my time, and I want to make some shifts in this next several months where I'm putting my place, self in places, where I have more contact with those who don't know Christ. That I might build real relationships, not picking projects, but relationships where Christ can be modeled and trust can be built. And that I might be an inviting presence where some might come and actually consider the claims of Christ and the hope that's in him. Being ready on the outside means being a more inviting presence to those who are far from Christ and those who are struggling to find hope. But our working for peace also comes thirdly in a demonstration of God's love and mercy and justice in the kinds of outreach ministries in which we engage, both the formal ones that we as a church uh, program for you and with you, as well as the personal expressions of love and mercy and justice that we act on. I think of some of the things that we do here. Alden Care Center is like, on the one hand, is, isn't it nice that we go spend some time with older people? But if you think of it as a, as a deeper place, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just spending time with older people. It's spending time with people whose lives still have as much value as when they were a vibrant 25-year-old. And yet because of illness and pain and loneliness, their, their life seems to be losing some sense of dignity and value. And when we go and we are friendly with them, even if they're in the memory care area and won't remember that we were there, For those times and those moments, we are giving value and dignity. People that are in a less productive, often very lonely stage of life. And so we we have a team that's there every Sunday morning, caring for these dear people. And we've chosen to take our Christmas Sunday and worship there instead of here. We can't get them here on a Sunday. It's not realistic to load them all up on vans and buses and bring them here on a Sunday morning. But it is realistic for those of you that are around Christmas Day. I know a lot of you are gone. A lot of you have family plans. You have a free pass that day. But for those who can and are able, we're going to be at Alden. It's only a few blocks away. And we'll do worship there to give some dignity and some value to those people. That is a demonstration of love and mercy and lifting up the value of people. 
We support and are active with Bridge Communities, which actually addresses the problem of homelessness and, and helps turn it around. The thing that's frustrating to us, and yet the only way that it works is one family at a time. One family at a time. We have two mentors in this church that meet every single week with our one family. And we've done that. Are we in our third one, Roy, now, or fourth? Third. Fourth. Third. We're in our third one. Third team. Third family. Second one didn't go so well, but that was her choice. First one's doing great. This one's on a good track. One family at a time. And thousands of dollars from our budget. But you know what? That's what it takes. Addressing homelessness isn't, isn't just handing out sandwiches. That's nice. That's an act of love and mercy, and that's great. But an act of justice means some hard work, and that's what's happening in and through Bridge. We have this wonderful relationship with Wyman and Pearl, and we are supporting them and encouraging them as they address injustice in their North Lawndale neighborhood. They're doing it by lifting up these young people, drawing them into the program. These are kids who are often in very low-performing schools in a dangerous neighborhood. And we give to those kids, or Wyman, and we support them, giving dignity to these kids, giving them attention, helping them to believe in themselves and what they can do, helping them to connect with Jesus Christ, giving them respect and opportunity. And most of those kids are going on to college and succeeding. They're going to good colleges all over the place. And the ones that graduate, many of them are coming back into Lawndale saying, we're going to make a difference here. I'm going to tell you more next week about a housing program they're doing to move towards home ownership in Lawndale that's turning it around. That's an act of justice because there's, the reason many of them don't own homes is some great injustices. I'm going to tell you next week because I'm talking to Michael this week and getting more information. I could go on. I think I will for a little bit. But um, Covenant Kids Congo. Now that has, for many, that's become a ka-ching, $40 a month, and it's gone. But let me remind you what we're doing with Covenant Kids Congo. We're addressing the huge inequities that exist in the, peoples, or in, the, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, even within that nation, in one of the least served parts of a poorest nation. But we're doing it not just by providing immediate needs to children in terms of food, but we are providing those monies go to the kid, but a lot of it goes into community development that provides better water, better health care, better education, and a more solid hope for their future. It is an act of justice to correct some things that are wrong with this world. Now, those are just a few of the official demonstration of God's love that we do in and through our church, but we are not limited to those. You need to be looking out yourselves for those right near you who need the love and compassion of Jesus. And you need to be discerning over the situations that might take a little bit of messing up a little bit in terms of justice and injustice. The needs for empowerment, the context that you have. A good way to, check, to, to, to do it is to look in your world and the people you come across with, whether it's in your neighborhood, where you work, your school, whatever. What are the things that are breaking your heart? <laughs> it might be possible that those are also things breaking the heart of God. And that's a clue to some places that you can work as well. These are just some of the ways that we can demonstrate the love, the mercy, and the justice of Jesus. But we're also looking to ways to be inviting and looking to ways to sometimes we simply need to feel the pain and lament. And so as we step into this year of hope then, Advent is calling us to the season of waiting not just for Christmas, but looking ahead to this perfect peace, the shalom of Christ. But ours is not just a passive waiting for that. It's an act of waiting. It's a time of kingdom work and kingdom action. So I have a few questions for you as we wrap it up. They're printed in your bulletin. If you want to take them home and work on them, that's your homework this week. It's pass-fail, by the way, and I don't do the grading. 
Number one says here, what work do you need to do on the inside in order to be more ready on the outside? Perhaps I speak of relationship with Christ and nurturing a growing faith, and that's not something you've done or are doing. And that might be a place to explore on your own or come and talk to me or Pastor Diana when she's home tomorrow or a trusted friend in the congregation saying, I'm not sure how well I am doing on the inside in my walk with Christ. What work do you need to do? Secondly, who might you need to connect with for whom this may be a season of struggle and waiting? Who are the ones that you know in your world? Or how can you find out if there's someone who needs just some love and attention in this season? And then finally, what kingdom work can you do this season to demonstrate the love, the justice, and peace of Christ? In terms of programming, I still need a few more volunteers for the bridge Christmas party. But I'm, and, I, and see me afterwards, because I need to get those lined up. But I'm asking you also to consider in terms of your own world and your own circles of where is the demonstration of the love and the mercy and the peace of Christ. Let's reflect on those for a moment and then we'll close. You have, we give you great thanks and praise and it gives us tremendous hope as we are people who have been made new in you. But Lord, we ask you to help us dig deeper to the inside. What are the places that still need to be worked on? What are the habits that need to be reformed? What are the, what are the skills we need to work on, Lord? What are the places we still need to let go of and trust you with? And Lord, we also ask that you would bring to mind those who need a word of encouragement, those for whom our kingdom work in these weeks may be a very powerful demonstration of your love and your mercy. Lord, help us as we wait and strengthen us as we hope together. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.